It is because of the precious Lamb of God that we're here, amen? amen? That is the purpose of our series. That is the purpose of our lives. And uh, we're grateful, grateful that we can have this opportunity to dive into God's Word once again this evening. And uh, I'm excited about our topic, actually, very excited. And I hope you are as well. I hope you took your Bibles with you, or otherwise you will be able to follow along with the Scriptures on the screen. And uh, we're going to use the Word of God. Uh, I am... Um, convinced that all that we believe about God and about prophecy and about what is going to come uh, must be based upon the revelations given in Scripture. Amen? We're not here to, you know, to just make up our own ideas about God or about what is going to happen in the future. We're here to learn what has God revealed to us as to prophecy, as to the future. And uh, we're going to get into our first topic this evening. As Samuel already mentioned, we're going to have two presentations tonight as the other evenings. And our first presentation, we're going to look at how we can discover how we can experience inner peace. What, what, what must we do? What is it in the Word of God that reveals to us how we can experience inner peace? How can we find rest for the soul? And uh, we're going to go indeed on another journey. And before we get started, we'll have a word of prayer as we invite God's Spirit to guide us in the study of His Word. So let's pray together, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be gathered here together, and I do pray now as we open Your Word, as we study the Scriptures, that, Lord, You will open our hearts and minds to understand it. Thank You, Lord, that You want to give us peace, even in the midst of an uncertain world. And help us, Lord, to find the keys of how we can experience that peace that only you can give. And so be with us now, I pray. In your precious name, we ask these things. Amen. All right. Well, no doubt we are living in a very rushed society, a, very, a, a world that is always busy, always talking to someone or listening to someone. We're living in a world that um, it is hard to find time to really come aside and experience the peace that God has in store for us. We're always kept busy. And it's interesting because when you go back to the very beginnings of Scripture, to the very first chapters of the Bible, uh, we are introduced into a rhythm that God himself gave to each one of us. Uh, when you read Genesis chapter 1, you read about the creation of the world and God created everything by the word of his mouth. And every time he created something, he would declare it to be good. And so in the successive six days, he created everything. And then on the sixth day, he created the human being, which was really the crownship of his creation. And uh, it was not enough to just speak. He actually stooped down and he formed the first human being from the dust of the earth and he breathed his own breath and man became a living soul, a living being. You know, and I, when I just read that account of creation, I think to myself, you know, God is a very close God. If you ever think of God as being distant, you need to go back and read the creation account because for God it was not just enough to speak the first human beings into existence, but he himself created them with his own hands. That's just absolutely beautiful. Now, when you look at creation, God created everything there in Genesis chapter 1. We have the record of this. 
Then in Genesis chapter 2, in the first couple of verses, and we're going to read this tonight, a little later on in our presentation this evening, but there you read about how God sanctified the seventh day. And he closed off his work of creation, and so he had six days of creation, and then the seventh day he sanctified. And to sanctify something simply means to set it aside for a special purpose. And so he sanctified the seventh day. Uh, The seventh day became very important, not only because God rested on that day, but because it became a memorial of his creative works. Now, God, of course, didn't need to rest because he was physically tired, but he was giving an example for every person, every human being to follow, to have a special day every week, to have that set aside to rest from physical labor, but also to experience a spiritual, a mental rest as we commemorate the wonderful works of our creator. Now, this is interesting because when you look at the way that we measure time in our society today, in our world today, you can see that we have a year and the year is based very simply upon the time that it takes for our planet, planet Earth, to rotate around the sun, right? We have a year. How do, we have, how do we come up with a day? Well, a day is quite simple. It's the time that it takes for our planet to rotate on its own axis, 24 hours. And also, we have a month, and the month is based on the lunar cycle. And so when you look at the day, and you look at the month, and you look at the year, all of those are based upon astronomical right, uh, movements, right? Movements of the planet. Now, when it comes to the week, though, the seven-day week, this is quite fascinating to think about. The week is not based on anything in astronomy. The day is based on astronomy. The month is based on astronomy. The year is based on astronomy. But if I ask you, well, where do we get our week from? The only place where the week comes from is Scripture. And yet, the world is following a a seven-day week. Quite fascinating, and we can trace this back to Scripture itself in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We talked a little bit about this yesterday when we were going over the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and we're basically looking at the Ten Commandments as ten promises. And uh, when we talked about the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, remember how I mentioned there that the, seventh, or the fourth commandment regarding the seventh-day Sabbath is really a revelation of the character of God. In a powerful way, this commandment reveals who God, what God is like. You see, in the beginning in Genesis, God set aside the seventh day, and later in his commandments, he tells us to remember the seventh-day Sabbath. Sabbath, and Sabbath really refers to this day as a day of rest. And God is revealing here his very nature, his very character. Think about it. God could have sanctified a place or an object, but instead he decided to sanctify time. Uh, When you look at many religions today, either they have a sanctified place that they have to go to, a pilgrimage, for example, or a sacred object that they must possess, that they must have in their homes for, for uh, safety and, and, and for pros- to prosper. But think about this. God, in the beginning, decided, after his six days of creating the world and everything in it, he decided to set aside or to sanctify, not a place, not an object, but time. It tells us something remarkable about God, because time is always on the move. You know what it's like. You never have enough of it, right? Oh, I wish I had more time. How many times do we hear that? 
We hear that all the time, that we don't have enough time, right? And here it is, and God, he sanctifies time, he sets aside time, and, and time is always coming. If there's something that is equally divided in our world today, it's time. Now, whether you are rich or whether you are poor or whether, whether you live in the United States of America or in Africa or in Asia or in New Zealand or in Europe, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you, you have. We all have the same amount of time. It's something that is equally divided, and time is always coming. What, what day is it today? It's today, it's Sunday, and yet Monday is coming, Tuesday is coming, Wednesday is coming. It's, we're always moving on. And so God himself, he creates in six days, and then he sanctifies time. He sets aside time on the seventh day, and basically he fills the seventh day with himself. And he says this is a special day, and we're going to look at some scripture in just a moment, in which he reveals that this is a special day that he wants to commune with his people. And the seventh day is always coming. Whether you, if you are locked up in a prison house and you can't go to any sacred place and you can't have access to any sacred object, the seventh day is coming to you. You can't escape it. It's coming. And God is basically saying, I am a God that pursues you. I'm a God that comes to you. I'm a God that wants a friendship with you. You look at the creation account. It's remarkable. There's this pattern in creation. You can go back and read Genesis chapter 1. God, he separates the firmaments. And then he separates the sea from the land. And every time he separates something, he fills those things. He fills the firmament with you know, the heavens with stars and planets. Uh, he fills the sea with, with, with sea creatures and the earth with, with animals and human beings. And, and then he creates another space. He's creating space, filling it, creating space, filling it. And then he creates another space of time, the seventh day, and he fills it with himself. He says, this, this is, I want to meet with you. Now, God can meet you on any day. Don't get me wrong here. We can always meet with the Lord. But the Lord has revealed in Scripture that he has a special time. And that is the seventh-day Sabbath that he wants to meet with us. And that's why, as we're going to look at in a moment at some Scriptures in the Bible, the Bible reveals that this is a time that we are to set aside as well so that we can spend that time with our Creator, with our Redeemer. Now, let's take a look, let's take a look at... Um, a little bit of history, a little bit of Bible tonight, or quite a bit of Bible, actually, I must say, on this topic. Uh, yesterday evening, we talked about the French Revolution, and this was in the context of, we were talking about the Dark Ages and the time of this um, Roman church that was really opposing uh, and, and suppressing uh, the people, and how the French Revolution was a reaction to that as they said, you know what, we are tired of this false, this, this, this religion that is oppressing us, this, this tyranny of Rome, we are just going to throw out religion altogether. It is interesting in the context of the French Revolution that there's something that they did that I didn't mention yesterday, but that I want to mention now because it fits right into this topic that we are discussing. What France did is when they basically abolished all religion altogether because of the uh, misrepresentation of religion throughout the Dark Ages, when they did that, did you know that they instituted a 10-day week? 
They said, you know what? We're not, we're, we're not, we don't want to have anything to do with religion. And they knew enough about religion or enough about the Bible that it actually the very origin of a seven-day week is found right here. You don't find it in astronomy. You find it here. And so what they did is they said, okay, out with the seven-day week, we will have a 10-day week. And actually, the 10th day of each week was dedicated to the blasphemy of God, to blaspheme God, to, to just reject God, because they had embraced the goddess of reason. And so this happened in France. And for a period of three years, the, during this French Revolution, they had the 10-day week. But... They realized soon enough that this was just leading them, their country, into utter, utter despair. As a matter of fact, uh, during these three years, uh, things happened in France that are hard even to explain. Historians, they will write about the events during the French Revolution. Uh, there was such a degradation in morality. And, and weddings just became like civil agreements and... And, 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 you know, they didn't even write on the tombstones, uh, rest in peace, you know, because they wanted to just get away from anything that had any connotation with this book, the Scriptures. But as this happened in France, they found out soon enough that this was just leading their country into uh, a place, a situation that they had not anticipated and that they did not want it to go. And so after three years... After a number of years into this uh, French uh, Revolution, they basically brought back certain laws into the country that allowed, again, the preaching of the Word and the teaching of Scripture. They understood that, that, that this, this book really sets the very foundation of morality. Isn't that interesting? You can go back and study that, look that into that, that the history of the French Revolution. But what we want to take away from this this evening in our study is the interesting fact that the Bible is the only origin of a seven-day week. And whenever we try to move away from that seven-day week cycle, we find ourselves pushing God out of the picture. And uh, it is not for nothing that God gave us a cycle of a seven-day week. Because God created us and he knows what is best for us. He knows how we best function. He knows that when we have worked for six days, that we need a day of rest. A day of physical rest, but also a day of spiritual rest. Now, let's go to the Bible. Let's look at some scriptures regarding this seventh day. And a good place for us to start would be right in the book of Genesis. And we're going to read in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Genesis, the second chapter, beginning in verse 1, the Bible reads, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, that is, that he set it aside for a special use, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So very simple. Genesis chapter 1 is the record of the creation of the world in six days. And then we move into the second chapter of Genesis. And then God sanctifies and sets aside the seventh day. And this is later called the Sabbath, which, was, which really um, denotes the significance of resting on that day. And again, not just the physical rest, but the spiritual rest in God. 
Now, you can find this Sabbath topic, uh, this seventh-day topic, running throughout Scripture. It's not just something that we find in the book of Genesis, but we actually find it all the way from Genesis to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Uh, there is a story in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 16, where God's people, the Hebrews, have come out of slavery, out of the bondage of Egypt. They are in the wilderness during 40 years. You probably remember the story. And what God did there in the wilderness is remarkable. He rained from heaven a food for them called manna. Now, manna was a kind of a sweet, uh, uh, sweet bread um, that they picked up in the morning, and uh, they would make different things out of it, and they would eat it. And, and this uh, was the way that God provided for them every single day during these 40 years that they spent in the wilderness. Did you know, by the way, that the word manna actually means what is it? Because you can just imagine that the, the, the first day that they get up and the manna is out there, they go out and they see all this manna on the ground, and they pick it up and they, what is it? You know, what is it? And they had to taste in order to know what it was. It was a food that was provided by God himself. And the scriptures tell us that God provided this food um, every day except, listen very carefully, the seventh day. You can read that in, in, in Exodus chapter 16. God provides manna on the first day of the week, on the second day of the week, on the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day of the week, he provides manna. And something remarkable happened on the sixth day. God provided a double portion of manna. And so on the first day, they just got, get, they, there was always enough and there was never too much, which is amazing. So they would pick up the manna. They had enough for them, enough for their family. And then they would pick it up the second day, the third day, the fourth day. And then on the sixth day, there was more so that they had enough on the seventh day and they did not need to go out and gather manna on the seventh day. God was teaching them that this was a day of rest. A day in which they didn't have to go out and work, but they could spend time with, with each other, with family. They could spend time with God. It is a day to remember his creation. It is a day to spend in friendship with God the creator. And so they didn't, go, they didn't need to be mindful of, of all the businesses of life, but they could just lay that aside and rest in God. Now, uh, something else interesting in this whole story of, of the manna is that if they would pick too much manna on one of the other days, let's say on the first or second or third day, if they took a little bit more manna than they actually needed, the Bible tells us that the next day it would rot. So, they, you know, it, it, was just, it, it would stink and it would rot and they couldn't, they couldn't eat it. But on the sixth day, God provided a double portion and that's the only time the manna did not rot. What is God trying to teach? God is trying to teach that for six days we can work and do all our business and do all our things and go our ways, but there is a special time that he has sanctified. There's a special time that he has set aside, and this is a time for us to enjoy him. We don't have to go out and work. We don't have to go, out, go into all our businesses of buying and selling and going here and doing this and, you know, Oh, this world is crazily busy. If we would not have a cycle of seven days, if we would not have a Sabbath, well, you know, we would overwork. And this is what is happening with many people in our world today, with millions of people. 
And so, you know, you look at the corporate organizations that just try to drive and drive because it's all about money, it's all about earning, it's all about making this, and they are literally just running over the very commands and promises in this book. But God has not given this in order to restrict us, but he's given us this in order to prosper us. And he knows what is best for us and our needs physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And he wants to make sure that we get the rest that we need on the seventh day. And he provides this space in time for him to commune with you and with me. Isn't that fascinating? And this is something we find in creation and we find it throughout the story of Scripture. Um, Jesus himself, when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, his custom was to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Uh, In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, we read the following. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, in other words, this he had done before, he had done this many times, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So Jesus himself, kept the seventh day Sabbath. Now, in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, a fascinating chapter, by the way, that we'll be looking at quite a bit um, also in our second presentation this evening. Revelation chapter 14 contains what we refer to as the three angels' messages. Now, Revelation 14, and when you get towards the end of that chapter, it actually gives a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It pictures Jesus coming with all his glory, with all his, you know, his, all his power. And just prior to his second coming, in Revelation chapter 14, we have three angels that proclaim three messages that are to go to all the world to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. So if there's an important chapter in the Bible, it's Revelation chapter 14. Now these angels are not literal angels that that we're going to see flying in the sky proclaiming this message. But in Revelation, a lot of symbolic language is used. And an angel is a symbol of a messenger. And so these are three messages that are going to be proclaimed in all the world before Jesus comes. Now in the first of those messages, in Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7, listen to what it says regarding the worship of God. It says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So there is an important message that will go into all the world, not just one country, not to just one nation, but to all countries and to all nations and to all people before the coming of Jesus the second time. And this message will call people back to the worship of the creator, to worship him who made heaven and the earth and the sea, and the springs of water. Now, when such a message goes forth to all nations and to all people, to all kindred, to all tongues, and there is a call to worship the Creator, very central in that call is also the commandment of the Sabbath because the seventh-day Sabbath is a memorial of creation. It is a memorial that there is a God that created the world in six days and set aside the seventh day as a rest day for you and for me. 
As a matter of fact, take notice of the actual commandment itself. We looked a little bit at it yesterday, but now we're going to actually read the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Listen to what it says. This is the fourth commandment. And it says, and it begins with this word, the word remember. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that this very commandment, if there's a commandment that has been forgotten, it's certainly this one. And God knew that this would be the forgotten commandment, especially as we draw closer to the end of time. And so he inspired Moses when he wrote down, or actually, let me take that back. This was not written by Moses. This was written by God himself. Amen. It wasn't, it wasn't Moses that wrote the commandments. It was God that wrote the commandments. And God himself put the word, remember. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Listen to what it says. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, for, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, you will see very clearly as we read this commandment that the reason for us to keep the Sabbath is because God made the heavens and the earth. Amen? For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And remember, in Genesis, we saw God created everything. He stood back and he said, it's very good. And then he set aside the seventh day. He sanctified it and he rested on that day as an example for you and for me. And then he places that in the very heart of the commandments. In the fourth commandment, we have the command to rest in the Lord. And this is beautiful, my friends. This is a promise, a promise to you and to me that we can lay aside the burdens of life on the seventh-day Sabbath, that we can come aside and spend time, quality time, with our Maker. He says, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, the Sabbath, as I said earlier, is a memorial of creation. We see it right there in the book of Genesis. But it is also, in many ways, a memorial of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because when you look at the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book uh, in the Bible, um, you will find in the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy that the Ten Commandments that were first given in Exodus chapter 20 are repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so uh, there are basically two places in the Bible where you have a list of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now you compare the commandments with each other in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, and they are almost identical. But there is a little difference. When you come to the fourth commandment, and you read it in Exodus chapter 20, and you read it, read it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's a little difference. Not in a difference as to which day, is, you know, which day it is or how, how it applies to us, not that. But in, there's a little difference in the reason why we keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, what was the reason why we should keep the Sabbath? Because of the creator. For the Lord created, right, and rested. Now, look at in Deuteronomy 5, the reason that is given why we should keep the Sabbath. And both reasons are totally valid and important for us. Take notice what it says. 
Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, or nor your stranger who is within your gates. Up till now it's the same, but take notice that your male servant and, that, and your female servant may rest as well as you and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, Exodus chapter 20, remember, keep the Sabbath because the Lord has created in six days and set aside the seventh day. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, keep the Sabbath holy because remember, at one time you were a bondage, you were a slave in Egypt, but now you've been set free by an outstretched arm. And again, we might say, and I, and I, and I remember um, we, um, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, some of you might say, yeah, but that doesn't really apply to me because I've never been in bondage in Egypt. But remember, the... Egypt is really only a typology, a picture of the bondage of sin, right? And so in that sense, we have all been in Egypt, and the one that sets us free from Egypt is the Lamb of God. Remember, we talked about this yesterday, that when the Hebrews were set free from Egypt, what did they have to do? They had to take the Lamb without blemish, they have to slay the lamb, take the blood of the lamb, and put it on the doorposts. So when the ten pl tenth plague took place and the angel of destruction moved through the land, the tenth plague, he passed over all the homes where the blood was on the doorpost. And so it was through the blood of the lamb that they were set free from Egypt. And the blood of the lamb pointed forward to the blood of Jesus. It was on the exact Passover day that Jesus was crucified. And so what we are seeing here is that through the death of Jesus, through the death of the Lamb, we are set free. And because we are set free, we are to remember that through the Sabbath. Amen? Now, take notice of this. This might really um, bring it together. The Lord created the earth and all that is in it in six days. Right? And on the sixth day, which was which what we would know to be as Friday, in the Genesis account, God, God you know, it, it almost seems when you read it that he, that he steps back and he looks at all his creation like an artist would step back from the painting and look at the painting. And then he says, it is finished. And then he sets aside that seventh day Sabbath. Now, when you then go to, from creation to redemption, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and can anyone remember the last thing that he said before he gave up the Spirit? It is finished. It is finished, and he gave up the Spirit. He died, and the very next thing, the Sabbath, came. You see, in biblical um, time reckoning, a day actually begins in the evening. That's why the Bible says in the book of Genesis, from, from evening to morning, the evening and the morning is the first day. The evening and the morning are the second day. So every time the sun sets in the evening, you're actually entering into a new day. That's the biblical time reckoning. Okay? So for, for, for the Sabbath began Friday evening. Right? And that's why, you might remember this in the gospel account, that's why the Jews, 
They wanted to get Jesus off the cross because the Sabbath was coming. Now, what had happened with the Sabbath, instead of it being a beautiful gift, it had become a means of legalism. As a matter of fact, they took the Sabbath and they thought, they thought that they were all right with God because they kept the Sabbath. They thought that they were all right with God because they were sons and daughters of Abraham. They thought that they were all right with God because they were circumcised. And they thought that they were just doing fine because they had the outer rituals but not the inward change. And so Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and they go to Pilate and they want to make sure that they get them from the cross because after all, the Sabbath is coming, not realizing that they had just crucified the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, my friends, uh, what I'm presenting tonight is not some legalistic commandment. Oh, now we keep the Sabbath, so we're the people of God. No, it's about an experience that God wants you to, wants you to have, a beautiful gift that he has given to you in which you can actually know him. He has set aside this time for you and for me. Now, let's take a look at the covenant that God wants to establish with us as we find it in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 16 and 17. We looked at this uh, verse yesterday as well, and let us read it again together. Hebrews chapter 10 and the verse 16 and 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So the covenant that God wants to establish with you and with me is very simple. He wants to take his commandments and he wants to write them, not just on stone as he did in the past, but he wants to write them in your heart and in your mind. And then if that is not good enough, he says something else. He says, and I'll remember your sin no more. Isn't that beautiful? Now, that's the covenant. A covenant is an agreement. So God is saying, okay, I'll, I'll have an agreement with you. And the agreement is that I will write my commandments in your hearts. And that's so beautiful, my friends, because so many times we try in our own strength to keep the commandments of God and we fail. You see, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that. And we just utterly fail over and over again. And God says to us, it's not by your power or by your might, but it's by my power, by my might, and by my spirit. And so God says, I will write those commandments in your heart. I will bring my power into your life so that you can walk in obedience. And I will remember your sin no more when you trust in me. This is the covenant. This is the agreement that God wants to enter into with each one of us. And that agreement, my friends, that doesn't just involve nine of the Ten Commandments or eight or seven. It includes all ten of them, including the fourth commandment, which this, which. Uh, which, which tells us to remember the seventh day Sabbath. This is included in this amazing and beautiful covenant. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Some people say, you know what, the law of God, it was done away with at the cross. Have you ever heard that? You know, we don't need to keep the Ten Commandments anymore because it's all about grace, it's all about mercy, it's all about, uh, it was done away with at the cross. Some, some people say it was nailed to the cross. My friends, <laughs> isn't it amazing? Jesus himself said, for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law. In other words, this earth is still in its place. Heaven is still in its place. The law is still in its place. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we are saved by keeping the law. We are saved by grace. We are saved by Jesus and his sacrifice. But when we accept Christ and his sacrifice and we are set free by him, then he will write his commandments in our hearts and in our minds, and we will walk in obedience to him. The Bible says those that love him will keep his commandments. And this is a promise to you and to me. The commandments are not given in order to restrict you. They are given as a promise to you. And God himself wants you to prosper in life. And so he's given the commandments. And my friends, you can't nail them to the cross. The very reason why Jesus died was for sin. To take your sin and my sin upon himself. And just think about it. If we do not, if we do not have a law anymore, then we don't know what sin is. And if we don't know what sin is, well, then Jesus as a Savior didn't need to come. It's really like a domino effect. No, the law does not save us, but the law definitely is a revelation of sin, and it's also a revelation of the character of God, as we talked about yesterday. And these promises have been given to each one of us. Now, take notice of Luke chapter 23, because then really the question is, what day is the seventh day Sabbath? Because does the Bible give any indication as to the seventh day Sabbath and how all this plays out? In Luke chapter 23, we read about the crucifixion of Jesus and also about the um, time that he was in the tomb, the time that he was in the grave, and then about the resurrection. And I want you to take notice of these verses in Luke chapter 23. Uh, that day was the preparation, beginning in verse uh, 54 here. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near, and the, wom the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. That's interesting. So Jesus dies on what was called the preparation day, which for the Jews was the Friday, the day they prepared for the Sabbath. And then it says that they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And then look at what it says in verse uh, 2 of, uh, as we continue into chapter 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women came with them. They came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. In other words, this was Sunday morning and Jesus had rose from the grave. So very simple, we find three successive days here described in Scripture. The preparation day, or what we know as Friday, the sixth day of the week, followed by the Sabbath day, or what we would know as Saturday, the seventh day of the week, and then followed by Resurrection Day, or what we would know as Sunday, the first day of the week. Quite simple, as you find this outlined here in Scripture. Uh, not only does Scripture show this, but it's interesting that um, in the dictionary will tell you that the seventh day is Saturday, the seventh day of the week, and also languages. There are more than a hundred languages in the world where the word Saturday means Sabbath. So direct, di the direct meaning of the word seventh day or Saturday is Sabbath. So there's no, no uh, confusion uh, regarding that at all. Now, uh, the question then, of course, is, well, why is it then that the Sabbath day today is no longer regarded on the Saturday? Okay, that's, the, that's like really the big question. And in order to find the answer to that, we need to go a little bit back into history again. History has a lot of answers, by the way, to what we are facing in our world today. And um, it was during the time of Constantine 
that um, in his empire, there were a lot of Christians and a lot of pagans. And what he did is in order to unite his empire, he basically merged paganism into Christianity. And a lot of the early um, Christianity that was based on scripture now was in a way um, affected and what we could say was diluted by these pagan rites and rituals that were now um, coming into uh, the Christian church. And I want you to take notice of a couple of fascinating uh, quotations here um, that describe this period of time. Uh, Church History Century 2, and this is taken from um, a book on, on this time period here, Christianity became an established religion in the Roman Empire and took the place of paganism. Christianity as it existed in the Dark Ages might be termed baptized paganism. Quite a term to use. So you take paganism, right, the the rites and rituals and traditions they had, and you put it right in there, and now it is part of the Christian tradition. Now, Constantine in the year 321 AD, he um, made a law. Uh, We can read about it here. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all the workshops be closed. Now, why was Constantine doing this? This is important for us to understand. Remember that Christianity in its early stages, in its early centuries, was an outgrowth of Judaism. And so uh, when you look at the 12 disciples, you know, they were Jews, and then they were also the very founding fathers, we could say, of the Christian church, right? And so they became the apostles. And of course, you know, um, uh, Paul became one of them, but he was also a Jew. And so all of these, they are, they are teaching and preaching the gospel. And um, the gospel included the very message of God's commandments and included also the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment. Now, as Christianity became more and more popular and was embraced by more and more cultures, it became, and it grew in the Roman Empire, it came to such a point that Constantine himself, which was a pagan um, emperor, embraced Christianity. And he said, okay, now the empire is Christian, right? And a lot, but in order to um, accommodate for all the pagan worshipers that worship the sun and the moon and the stars and all other kind of gods and goddesses, he said, okay, bring that, he actually brought that stuff into the Christian church, including the worship now no longer on the seventh day Sabbath, but on the day of the Sunday, which was commemoration of the God of the sun God for the pagans. Now, this is also interesting. The reason why is because for the Jews were kind of a despised, you know, uh, uh, a group of people that they wanted to distance themselves from. At the same time, they wanted to embrace paganism. So a coalition of these things really brought about these changes. Now, take notice what it says here. Sabbath was a Hebrew word signifying rest. Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. Now, with this background, we need to just go a little bit back at what we looked at yesterday. Yesterday we talked about this prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. And you will remember that in Daniel chapter 7, we looked at these various beasts that resembled these different kingdoms and nations, bringing us up to this little horn power, which we identified, looking at all the characteristics there, as the Roman Catholic Church. You remember that? 
Uh, if you weren't here yesterday and you would like to get um, that study, make sure you get the handout this evening, and you can go through those identification marks. It's right there in the handout. Uh, this is not something that I came up with, by the way. Um, a lot of the reformers, you go to Luther and you go to, you know, uh, um, uh, John Wycliffe, and you look at these different reformers, uh, Calvin, Swingley, they all taught and, and believed, based on prophecy, that this power was the very anti-Christian power that was um, identified here in Daniel chapter 7. Now, of this, it says in Daniel 7 verse 25 something interesting about this power. It says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law, then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Take notice that he would intend to change times and law. This power seek to change the very times and laws, not of human beings, but of God himself. This is a power that is speaking against the Most High, that's God himself. He would seek to change the very law of God. Now, there's only one law in the Ten Commandments that specifically deals with time, and that is the Fourth Commandment or the Seventh-day Sabbath. Now, let's then look at the arguments. Does the Roman Catholic Church actually claim that they have the power to change the, the, the very commandment of God regarding time or the Seventh-day Sabbath commandments? Uh, this is taken from, uh, from uh, Roman Catholic sources. Uh, listen to what it says. The Pope has power to change times, to abrogate laws, and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. The Bishop of Rome is of so great authority and power that he can modify, explain, or interpret even divine laws. The Bishop of Rome can modify divine law since his power is not of, a, of man but of God, and he acts as vice-regent representative of God upon earth. So very clearly, the Roman Catholic Church themselves claim the power to actually be able to change the laws of God. Well, has then the commandment, the Sabbath commandment, been changed, has it been changed by this religious system? Well, we again go to their own sources here. This is a very interesting. This is taken from a book called Faith of Our Fathers, uh, written by Cardinal James Gibbons. And listen to what it says. He says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. So he, he himself acknowledges there's, no, there's nothing in scripture that will tell you to keep the Sunday. The scripture is quite clear. The scripture is quite clear that Saturday is the seventh day. And this is the very fourth commandment in God's Ten Commandments. Well, then, of course, we ask this very simple question, then why Sunday? If the Scriptures enforce Saturday, then why Sunday? Well, this is another um, uh, quote here taken from Catholic sources, and it says, Sunday is our mark of authority, the church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Those are quite strong words. So they're saying that basically the... the, the and this is quite open. I've spoken with a lot of Roman Catholics. I told you yesterday that I come from a Roman Catholic family. My parents were Roman Catholics, not anymore, but they were. Um, and I have a lot of family that is Roman Catholic. And so we're not here to attack any persons or people. We're looking at a system that the Bible explains and the Bible reveals. But it is very interesting when you speak with Roman Catholics, uh, especially those that are a little bit more into what actually Roman Catholicism teaches, 
they will readily acknowledge that the Bible is not the foundation of their faith. It is tradition. Now, the Bible takes, plays a role in it, but its tradition is really the foundation. And it's interesting that um, the, Catholic, uh, the Roman Catholic sources themselves they, uh, and the leaders of this church will tell you very openly that um, the church is above the Bible. And so really it's a decision that you and I need to make. Um, we'll, do we want to follow a church system or do we want to follow the scriptures, right? And isn't it interesting that when it comes to the seventh-day Sabbath, when it comes to the fourth commandment of God, the Roman church says, yeah, we changed it. Yeah, we were, we were part of changing that. Yeah, it started in the days of Constantine, but it really, it really uh, took on form uh, in, those, in, in the Dark Ages with Catholicism. So, yeah, we did it. And, and, and actually, it proves our authority. It proves our Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance to Sunday is proof of that fact. And that's why Protestantism is, uh, remember, the word Protestantism really comes from the word protesting. And so Protestantism is a reaction to this to this, um, uh, move, to this uh, organization, this system that has moved away from the very word of God, it is to protest that. Now, Protestantism protested many things. They protested you know, that we are not saved by works, but by grace. They protested that um, um, a, a number uh, concerning baptism. They protested that you know, it's not just about sprinkling a baby, but that the Bible actually teaches that uh, to be baptized, you must go under the water because it's really a symbol of the death of Jesus and to come up and live a new life. And all these things, uh, in the course of Protestantism, they were protesting these teachings that had been um, basically buried under the traditions of Rome. But my friends, the question is, who is protesting today? You know, many people will say, many people are Protestants. They will say, I'm a Protestant. But how many are actually protesting? Because what has happened is that many of the Protestant denominations today have actually, are actually, in, 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 to some degree, following the very rituals and ways of Catholicism. Now, isn't that interesting? This is taken from the convert's catechism of Catholic doctrine. And so the question is asked, why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. It's no secret. It's, uh, it's very clearly and plainly stated. This is taken from the Catholic world. The sun was a foremost god with heathendom. There is in truth something royal kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the son of righteousness. Hence, the church in these countries would seem to have said, keep that old pagan name. It shall remain consecrated, sanctified, and thus the pagan Sunday dedicated to Balder became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. You see, that was, it was really a merge of paganism and Christianity that brought about this, this change. Now, I have some more quotes here, but I'm gonna, we're going to close and we'll move more into, that, into this in our second presentation. But interesting enough, we are living in a world today where the commandments have been trodden upon. We're living in a world today where the, the commandments are really just overlooked. And, and, and the very commandment that begins with the word remember is the commandment that has been forgotten. And the question really to you and to me is quite simple. Do we want to follow a church organization that has changed the law of God, or do we want to follow God himself that has given us these commandments for our benefit? 
Again, my friends, these commandments are not given to restrict us. These commandments are given for us to prosper. And the seventh-day Sabbath is a wonderful gift from God. No wonder the enemy wants to take that gift from us. But I pray that, that we may embrace that gift, the seventh-day Sabbath, as a very gift from Christ himself. Now, you might say, well, is it so important which day the seventh-day Sabbath is? Well, you know what? There's a story in the Bible, a story of um, a man by the name of Naaman, and he was a commander in, of the Syrian army, and he got leprosy. Now, leprosy was a terrified uh, thing to, to get uh, because you were basically just separated from all people and there was no cure for it. But in the story of Naaman, he actually made his way to the prophet, the prophet Elisha. And Elisha said to Naaman, go and dip yourself in the river Jordan seven times. Now, he could have thought to himself, yeah, why, why am I going to go to the river Jordan and dip myself in that, in that river seven times? What, what's the meaning of that? Why would I do that? And he could have just gone home, but he realized that, well, I might as well give it a try. And so he went there, and he dips himself in one time, and he comes up, and the leprosy is still there. And he dips himself in the river a second time, and the leprosy is still there. It was only after the seventh time that he was cured. If he had done it six times and he went home, he would have gone home a leper. But after that seventh time that he dipped himself in the water, he was fully healed. Now, my friends, when God says, I have sanctified and set aside the seventh-day Sabbath, the seventh day, and we say, well, you know what? It's not that important as long as it's one day. Would you do that with a good friend of yours if he said, I want to meet you on this and that day, and you, and, and you didn't show up, and he asked you why, and he said, well, I showed up on another day? That wouldn't work, Right? I mean, God is particular in his language, and he wants us to receive the blessing that he has in store for us, and the blessing only comes through perfect obedience to his law. Amen? There's another story in, um, in, the, in, in Scripture where the Hebrews, as they enter into the promised land, there's a city that they conquer, the city of Jericho, and God says, march around the city every day, for seven days. And so they march around the city the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day. And then on the seventh day, God says, march around it seven times. And they march around it seven times. And after that, they blow the trumpets and the walls come crumbling down. God himself worked in their behalf and they conquered this city. What if they marched around the city five times and they said, we're tired, we're going home? They would not have conquered the city. It is very clear, my friends, that perfect obedience results in a perfect blessing. And to close this off, this first session, back to the story of Exodus chapter 16. God gave the manna for six days, and on the sixth day he gave a double portion because he wanted to give them rest on the seventh day. You don't need to work. This is a day that I want to spend with you. And God is saying that to you and to me. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is, a, is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work. God wants to give you that rest and for you to say, okay, I lay aside those burdens of the week and I spend this time with Jesus. That's exactly what the Sabbath is all about. He has filled that day with himself. Don't let anyone take that blessing from you, amen? And don't let the, uh, some organization that is misrepresenting the very character of God, don't let them change that day but come back to what it's all about. Uh, we're going to have a, a word of uh, prayer in closing, and then we'll take a little break, and we'll move into our second uh, presentation. Uh, and as we pray, let us ask the Lord. Let us ask the Lord to guide us. 
um, in, in, in this experience of Sabbath because God wants us to experience the greatest blessing that is possible for us to receive. And let us pray that we may experience that Sabbath blessing so that we may walk in his footsteps. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us during our first presentation here tonight. Thank you for the gift of your Sabbath. And I do pray, Lord, that each one of us may experience the blessing that you have placed in your seventh-day Sabbath. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us and that we can in it, that we can find rest for our souls, physical rest, spiritual rest, mental rest, emotional rest, and that we can fully, fully know This you media was God, brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.